following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Well, good morning. It's a great privilege to be in your lovely country. This is my second time. I was here a number, a number of years ago, and I loved it so much. I said to my wife, Mary, I said, if there was any country where I'd actually chose to immigrate to, it would be New Zealand. And uh, so I've had the opportunity. She's here with me, and we want to take a few days to enjoy the country while we have the opportunity to minister as well. So um, being that I'm a Scotsman and was lived in Vienna, Austria, 20 years where Mary and I met, and our children were born there, and then moving to the States was quite an experience in many respects. Americans love accents. Interesting, it's a land of immigrants, you know. I mean, you've got them from all shapes and sizes, but they think I'm a novelty because I have an accent. And uh, many people get confused with this British idea because they think I'm an Irishman. So I explained this the other night on Friday night. So here's the deal. In Britain, and those of you from British background know there are four tribes in Britain, and here's how it works. When the gospel came to the English, the English received it because it was something they could make a culture from. The Welsh received the gospel because it was something they could sing about. The Irish received the gospel because it was something they could fight over. And we Scots received it because it's free. <laughs> so that'll tell you the truth about where we are. So this morning, what I want to talk to you about is the subject that is big all around the world. It's true in every country. It's true in every heart. It's true in this room. And it's the idea of freedom, the call of freedom to us. Many people see that Christianity is not an answer. Christianity is a problem. It doesn't bring freedom. It actually binds people up. So they want to be free from religion. Many people see the same with things like Islam. And so atheism or versions of that are coming around taunting freedom. Everybody wants freedom. But what do we mean by freedom? That's the issue. So in John chapter 8, we have a very interesting story as Jesus is going around uh, preaching and sharing. And he's confronting his own Jewish people. And many times they misunderstand what he's saying. They have the pride of their history and their heritage. They are the children of Abraham, the sons of the covenant. They are the chosen ones. And so here is a, an encounter with Jesus in John chapter 8. And it says in verse 31, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants. And have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen by my, with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you heard from your father." Ouch. Those are strong words, aren't they? You see, the passage here is discussing this subject of freedom. The Jews are adamant that their heritage, their history is sufficient. They see themselves as having unique privilege. But Jesus is pointing here that they are slaves to something they don't recognize. There is something in life that binds them, and they can't see what that is. 
And he's using a language. Now, what, what is he talking about? It's ironic that they're talking about we have never been slaves to anyone, and they're under Roman domination. They are actually slaves to Rome, even as they're saying this. But their pride, their arrogance, gives them this idea that they're free. And the freedom that Jesus is talking about is something far deeper. He's talking about a freedom from something that binds them that they don't even recognize at this point in their story. Now, the Bible has two great uh, freedom stories. The first is the story of the Exodus, where Moses comes and you have that story, let my people go, where we deliver the people from Egypt. The second is the second Exodus, where Jesus comes to deliver the people from the bondage of sin and lead us into resurrection, hope, and the new world order. This is the biblical view of freedom, but not the one that is popular in culture. So what do we mean usually when we use the word freedom? Well, in the dictionary, you look up, I like to look at words. It says in the dictionary, the power or right to act, to speak, or think as one wants. Okay. Secondly, absence of subjection to foreign domination or despotic government. Or the power of self-determination attributed to the will, the quality of being independent of fate or necessity. But these definitions, they say little about internal factors, psychological or spiritual needs for freedom. They give us a broad sense of what is usually meant. Well, let's look at some modern times examples. I mean, some of the young people won't remember bands called The Doors, but, you know, Jim Morrison and that. You can look it up on YouTube. You'll still find them around there, you know. Um, but here's Jim Morrison, one of the, the 60s radicals, you know, boozed himself to death, died in a bathtub in France, drunk and overdosing. But this is what Jim Morrison, and we've got to listen to his infinite wisdom. He said, the most important kind of freedom is to be what you really are. You trade in your reality for a role. You trade in your sense for an act. You give up your ability to feel, and in exchange, you put on a mask. There can't be any large-scale revolution until there's a personal revolution on an individual level. It's got to happen inside first. Oh, yeah, baby. Born to be wild and free. <laughs> I mean, this is the classic story of Western culture. It was, it was voiced earlier than that by John Stuart Mill, and it's the American view, the British view, the New Zealand, the Aussies, the, and all around. John Stuart Mill put it this way, the only freedom which deserves the name is that of pursuing our own good in our own way as long as we do not attempt to deprive others of theirs or impede their efforts to attain it. And that's the kind of standard philosophy line all across Western culture. This is the global vision. Just let live and let live. You do your thing and I. How's that working out for us? Now, you see, with a great tragedy that happened in this country recently with Islam and what we're seeing around the world, people forget that Muslims also believe in freedom. It's a different version than what you would understand, but Muslims are committed to freedom too. Listen to this. As for freedom of belief, it is not absolute so that no one may believe whatever he likes to believe. This is an imam talking. It is enjoined on all sane adults to believe in God as deity and Lord, to accept his right to obedience and submission. Men may not choose to believe otherwise. The author goes on, man was born to search for truth and to come upon the truth, not to follow false ways. And so it's for this reason that we say with confidence, while the freedom of thought should be guaranteed, the indulgence of desire should be restricted. Now, there are many Christians that would actually endorse that. This is a bit risky territory here, isn't it? This is Abdullah bin Muhammad in Muhammad speaking about that. So the question I would raise to us, whose freedom, which liberty? Who, de who designs, who de decides, defines what freedom is? So the desire for freedom. Benjamin Franklin, the American writer, said this, freedom is not a gift bestowed upon us by other men, but it's a right that belongs to us by the laws of God and nature. 
Some would deny even that as a reality. Abraham Lincoln said, those who deny freedom to others deserve it not for themselves. So is freedom simply unlimited self-expression? Am I really free if I just do what I want? Are there conditions, considerations which must be answered for true freedom to occur in our life? Is the freedom issue centered in our will and what our rational minds decide and what ultimately one choose? So this freedom stuff's not that easy, is it? I left home when I was 15 years of age. I was angry with my parents. I was angry with everyone. As a young Scotsman, all Scots are angry. So I was just looking for a place to fight. <laughs> and I ran away from home, and trying to be free from my parents. And finally, at 15 years of age, I found myself with my own apartment. And then, you know, it suddenly struck me after day one, where's the food? Oh, mom's not here anymore. Well, who's cooking the food? And what about washing the clothes? And Oh, I actually have to pay bills, so any money I earned, I had to pay for things all of a sudden. So I was free, but I wasn't really free. I was free from, but I wasn't free for, because I didn't understand the nature of freedom. So the struggle to define freedom. Daniel Patrick Moynihan said this, everyone is entitled to his own opinion, but not to his own facts. Oz Guinness, my colleague, says the right to believe anything does not mean that everything that one believes is right. So when I was investigating this thing for freedom, I was reading the writings of one of the, an old Oxford philosopher who's dead now, Isaiah Berlin. And he came up and coined this idea that freedom has two aspects. There is negative freedom, which is freedom from. And everybody wants that. I want to be free from restrictions. I want to be free from the things that bind me, free from chains, free from misery. Maybe it's memories or abuse or something that happened to me. I'm held by something I need to be freed from. But that's the only understanding that most people in the West have. That's what New Zealand is wrestling with today. That's what Australia is wrestling. We want to be freed from all these restrictions, our culture, our past, Christianity and heritage or whatever. But positive freedom is when we find out what we are free for. And you can't be free from something if you don't have at the same time positive freedom to give freedom a positive direction. What is it I am free to do, to be? To, what am I supposed to uh, become? Let me give you an illustration. We just saw the 75th uh, celebration of D-Day in World War II. During World War II, the Nazis, the Japanese, had conquered vast ranges of territories. In Europe, Jews, Slavs, Gypsies and were being killed en masse by the, the Germans. In the, in the East, Chinese, Koreans, by the Japanese. So how did freedom come about in these parts of the world? Well, it came at great cost and high commitment of blood. And much of that New Zealand blood that was shed to bring freedom. The enemy had to be defeated. The military power had to be conquered and destroyed. The territory had to be recaptured. The captives had to be liberated. And the power that dominated had to be broken. So the conditions of actual freedom had to be restored, or in some cases, they had to be created. But in each of these, a greater power was essential. To achieve freedom, there had to be a higher force, a greater energy. The desire of the Poles, the French, the Belgians, the Russians, or the Burmese, the Malays, the Philippines, Pinos, they could not be free without help to be free. They didn't have the resources on their own terms. It took combined allied power to accumulate a greater force to destroy the enemy darkness to bring freedom. So freedom and external factors. You see, there's a great deal of confusion on both the meaning and the limits of freedom. And diverse voices of histories clash. 
Here is Oz citing some of the voices of modern culture. And maybe some of you spend your time reading YouTube or watching YouTube or you're watching modern films. And this was me. This was me as a teenager. You know, I remember listening to Alice Cooper. I'm, I'm 15 years old in, and I'm sitting in my room and I'm listening to Alice Cooper. School's out for summer. School's been blown to pieces. Yay! I mean, the very idea of the school being blown up, you know, and, oh, you know, and I just enjoying all this rebellion. I was a rebel without a pause. Because the only thing I had was rebellion. I wanted freedom, but I didn't know what freedom from was for. And here's Oz Guinness. Freedom is the dream of ever-expanding emancipation, ever-multiplying liberation movements, ever-deepening fulfillment is being pushed from behind by the memory of a thousand oppressions and pulled ahead by the promise of unrestrained choice and unhindered creativity, leading to unlimited possibilities. Infinite in all directions, as Star Trek would say, as the futurist cheerleaders would say. Now, modern politics says that men must be forced to be free. That great prophet of wisdom, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, said of each of us puts his person under the supreme direction of the general will. And you're seeing this most in our culture. We have a social contract, and so you can't be free. I can't trust you to act as an individual. So the state has to come along and regulate and force you to be free. We have to make sure that your freedom is the freedom that we determine what freedom is, right? So you're in a free society, but you're increasingly finding that your freedom is going to be restricted. You can't say certain things. You can't do certain things. You can't go certain places. You're free to be what you say is free because we need an enlightened elite who define what freedom is and then impose it upon you, and you need to follow so you can be free. God bless you. <laughs> but it's not just... It's interesting. That's in modern liberalism, by the way. So contrast that again with some of these Islamic voices. These aren't bad people. These are sincere people. They're not saying this because they're horrible. They're saying it because they believe with all their heart. Because, ladies and gentlemen, ideas have consequences. Bad philosophy exists. And the answer to bad philosophy is good philosophy. And that's why we have to do that what this ministry is doing here, Thinking Matters and many others, you need this in New Zealand. We need people who will be in the public square, who will wrestle with truth. We need people to defend the gospel. But listen to this. Whoever submits to others than, other than God surrenders as much of his freedom as he submits and humbles himself to other than his Lord, meaning Allah. Examples are given. Some of these false lords went so far as to distort God's scriptures revealed to his messengers in order to legitimize their whims. They corrupted those scriptures by adding foreign material to them. Some of them went so far as to guarantee reward in the hereafter to some people and punishment to others and to sell indulgences, promising paradise to some individuals. This is an Islamic scholar quoting medieval history. That's right out of the Middle Ages. This is the selling of indulgence. And here is an Islamic author talking about people distorting the truth and the then he goes on to say this, modern forms of accepting false lords are embodied in the materialistic philosophies of history and in the enslavement of carnal desires and pleasure. And therefore, the essence of a call to belief in one God is a call to freedom and the lifting of oppressors, subjugation of human beings. In other words, Islam is here to set people free. So each of these believes we are bound in some way or ignorant and we need liberation. Each believes that something is wrong and that we uh, uh, hinders freedom. Each of them is offering a way or a solution. But one thing you can see from each of these voices I've quoted to you, they are not the same. Does anyone ever say to you, all religions are fundamentally the same, they're only superficially different? All religions are superficially the same, they are fundamentally different. Please get that into your bloodstream. 
When we say there is truth, truth comes with a price and truth comes with a cost, but truth distinguishes. So let's talk quickly about freedom and the internal factors. You see, after World War II, many people had been set free, but many were victims. How would you handle the atrocities that had happened to it? So you have stories like Simon Wiesenthal, who saw his whole family murdered in Eastern Europe and then went on the search for Nazis, filled with hatred. And there's a book about the sunflower, about a Nazi soldier who tried to get forgiveness from him as a Jew, and he wouldn't give forgiveness. And there's a whole book dedicated to this, the idea, should he have forgiven, should he not? Did he have the right to forgive? Corrie ten Boom was also in a prison camp. Her, his, her sister died in Ravensbrück, and Corrie ten Boom ended up seeing the very guard that was beating her in the camp and ended up forgiving as she visited Germany one day. You see, for freedom to occur, it has to also be inside. If I'm a slave to addictions or lust or power, then I have a problem. So let's talk about freedom to addictions, for instance. Here's a serious issue. Gene Kilborn said this, addiction begins with the hope that something out there can instantly fill the emptiness inside me. Cornelius Plantinga said, at every stage, addiction is driven by one of the most powerful, mysterious, and vital forces of human existence. What drives addiction is longing. A longing not just of the brain, the belly, of the loins, but of the heart. I get addicted to things on the internet. I get addicted to pornography. I get addicted to alcohol or drugs or something because there's something in me that wants life and I try this thing and it doesn't give me life. And I find that I become slave to something I never meant to be enslaved to. And listen to this sad but true story by Damon Alburn. He says, in the 1960s, people took acid to make, to make the world weird. Now the world is weird and people take Prozac to make it normal. <laughs> Isn't that true? Our world is so... So in other words, the addict needs more than advice. What does the addict need? The addict needs a power to deliver them. The addict needs to be set free. But what about the person with depression? Depression's an issue that, that kills us as well. This is another kind of thing that binds us. Listen to this voice. I don't fear death so much as I fear its prologues. Loneliness, decrepitude, pain, debilitation, depression, senility. After a few years of those, I imagine death presents like a holiday on the beach, said Mary Roach. Rollo May, the psychologist, depression is the inability to disconstruct a future. And some of you know what that's like. There are people in the church like this that struggle, not because of medical conditions, because of physiological and other factors, and they struggle, and they see no future. Each day is a grind to get out of bed. Hungering for life, hungering to be set free. Dorothy Hamill said, at times I feel overwhelmed and my depression leads me into darkness. With all the toys and distractions so widely available in our times, with so many options, why is it that so many young people feel unfree? Why is suicide a rising epidemic amongst teenagers and young people in the United States and all around the world? How can you be 13 and 14 years old and already you have no reason to live? Ladies and gentlemen, our culture is killing our kids. Something is wrong. Deeply wrong. And we need a gospel. But what about the problem of morality and conscience? The letter to the Romans has a story, and some of you know what this is like. Maybe you're the person who all your life you've tried to be Mr. or Mrs. Good. You've been trying always to do your duty, to do right, to always behave yourself. 
And here in the book of Romans, we have this story, and, and, and or Paul's showing us a little bit of a taste, a child of the covenant, a man who understands the reality of law, and yet this, this struggle that there was something in life that made him battle. In Romans chapter 7, 14, he says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. I am doing what I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But I do the very thing that I do not want to do. I agree with the law. Confessing the law is good. So though no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I know that nothing good dwells in me. That's in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do. I practice the evil I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. He doesn't lack desire, knowledge, or vision. He found a power undermining him. There is something, a deeper issue. So ladies and gentlemen, we seek a fuller freedom. Here is the words of Bredin Manning, who himself has struggled with alcoholism all his life. And he said this, real freedom is freedom from the opinions of others. Above all, freedom from opinions about yourself. The Dictionary of Philosophy and Freedom put it this way. Freedom from past thoughts and future expectations is true freedom. Free to be, to exist, to experience God, God, innocence, consciousness is true freedom and is entirely internally of the present moment. Freedom comes from being aware of what truly makes you happy and taking responsibility for it. But that means we need to deal with the mind and the heart and the will. In a heated debate many centuries ago, Martin Luther was arguing back and forward with a scholar, Erasmus. They were arguing about the law and what is the nature of true freedom, just like we're doing today in a way. And here is, here is uh, Martin Luther talking about the commandments. He said, the commandments are not given inappropriately or pointlessly, but in order that through them the proud blind man may learn the plague of his impotence should he try to do as he is commanded. So Luther saw God has given us these laws, and when you try to keep them so many times, you say, I can't do it. Exactly, you can't. Because you need help to have hope. You need power to change. You need grace to liberate. You need something to change you. By the law is the knowledge of sin. So the word of grace comes only to those who are distressed by a sense of sin and tempted to despair. And Luther said, let all free will in the world do all it can in all its strength. It will never rise to a single instance of ability to avoid being hardened if God does not give the Spirit or if meriting mercy of it is left in its own strength. Ladies and gentlemen, I could give you some more material on this, but I don't want to bore you to death. I hope I'm not putting you to sleep. There's a great book. There's a, some of you saw the film. The film's mediocre. The book is fantastic called Unbroken, the story of Louis Zamperini. And if you haven't read the book, you need to read the book of this hellion young man who ends up running races in America, becoming a wild guy, and then joins the army, gets shot down, lives in a Japanese uh, prisoner of war camp, survives that. It's an incredible story. And then towards the end of his life, he meets the gospel. And he found true liberation. I wish you could read the book. I hope you will. What is freedom? We need the demands of a holy God, a broken law, moral failure. How can we find a freedom that liberates us internally and externally, delivers us from addictions, guilt, shame, lust, a freedom that brings us true hope? Well, let me conclude with turning to Titus chapter 3. Because, ladies and gentlemen, as we gather here this morning, that's what the gospel is all about, isn't it? It's a message of freedom. In Titus chapter 3, 
reveals to us again and reminds us. And even if we know these things, we need to lay hold of them a bit deeper in our lives. Titus 3, chapter 3, uh, verse 3 through 8. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to His hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy statement. So I'm sure this morning that despite all our nice middle-class respectability, clean hair and, you know, brushed your teeth this morning, had your breakfast, that there's a lot of pain in this room too. In every home, behind every veneer, there's often a well, uh, some degree of darkness. But ladies and gentlemen, there is a Savior, and He is here. And if you've never been had the courage to take this up, Christ comes to you, and His initiative is from God. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whosoever believe in him, old man, young man, young man, young woman, may receive mercy and be born again. Grace leads us in freedom to freedom. Listen to Max Lucado. The meaning of life, the wasted years of life, the poor choices of life, God answers the mess of life with one word, grace. What does grace mean? God's riches at Christ's expense. Anne Lamott put it this way, I do not at all understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. The name Jesus means Jehovah's saves. So the power of God to change, that's the freedom we need. The word power means the ability to do or to act, capability of doing or accomplishing something. In 1977, in a house in Glasgow, I went to beat up the people that had led my girlfriend to the Lord. I was a bouncer in a dance hall. I had no time for God, no interest in the whole thing. I walked into this house, and I was going to sort these Christians out, and I was ambushed by grace. And I found out there's a power bigger than the universe than me, my violence, my arrogance, and my anger. And in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the freedom we need in New Zealand. That's the freedom we need in our schools. That's the freedom we need in our homes. And that's the only true freedom. It has to start on the inside and work to the outside. And Christ brings it to us by faith to those who repent and receive. I hope you'll think about it. God bless you. This has been a teaching message from Shore Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.